Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Shante Joseph. Shante is a writer, journalist and digital content producer. She's also the host of the Guardian's pop culture podcast. So welcome to the Power Hour, Shante Joseph, aka CEO of Yelling. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I'm so glad that we have managed to make the time, align our schedules to record this conversation. I've been looking forward to it all day. And first up, I have to start with this CEO of yelling. This might just be the world's best job title. So (laughs) tell us, who are you yelling at? Literally, I have, (laughs) I was, it was like around New Year's in like 2020 or something or around that time and I was like with some friends and like one of my friends was just like you're basically the CEO of yelling and I was like this is the best name I've ever heard and I changed all of my social media to CEO of yelling and I've just never changed it back and that that is it there's not even a personal thing it's just the screaming Yeah, never change it back. It's the best. I mean, people are going to start taking that. But seriously, let's get into it because Shantae, you are a writer and a journalist. And I feel like journalism, like many other industries, continues to change at such a rapid pace. How we consume media today compared to even a decade ago is completely different. And it's just, I think, going to continue to change. So first up, I'd love to know in your experience, what is it like to be a young journalist in 2023? I think I am, I feel like I exist on the periphery of journalism, not because I like, I'm not doing it, but because I don't, I've like never really worked in a newsroom or anything like that. I've always kind of been freelance. I've always kind of done journalism on on the side of something else that I was doing. And Mm. it wasn't until 2020 that I went like full time, just like writing and pitching and writing and pitching. Um, And it's been like a very interesting experience. I feel like the experience of journalism as someone who's a staffer compared to someone who's a freelancer is very, very different. I feel Mm. like my income is so much more precarious. I feel like I'm having to like hustle a lot more more than usual to like pitch ideas and make sure ideas are good enough. Um, Then there's, you know, the editing process and the, and the like commissioning process and then invoicing and the, and the whole kind of like journey you have to take as somebody who is like trying to get paid as a freelancer, which is so stressful. Mm -hmm. And I think things are just getting like worse and even more scary. And it's so funny because somebody messaged me on Instagram being like, Oh, like, what tips can you give me as someone who's like first starting out in freelance journalism? And I was like, are you sure you want to do that right now? Like, mm. are you seeing the 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 way the industry is going? All of these legacy publications and papers shutting down, all of the jobs going, all of the low commission rates for pieces. Like, this just doesn't feel like a a good time to be in this world, basically. Yeah, God. Well, I have a few thoughts on that because the freelance journey, freelance life, again, whatever industry, it is wild, actually wildness. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think on the one hand, I wanted to ask you, like, do you feel like having 
being freelancers, as you said, not being tied to one publication or one media house, do you feel like in some ways that gives you more kind of creative freedom or it gives you a freedom around your voice so you don't feel as though you have to, uh, yeah, I guess, toe the line of a particular place? Mm, Definitely. I feel like I went freelance in 2020, like during the pandemic. I was working before that for a social media agency. And it's so funny because like, I used to work on their kind of biggest client, which was the morning after pill. So I basically spent like a whole year lockdown writing tweets about like, this is how you get the morning after pill during lockdown. Like basically wow. doing all this stuff. And I was like, but I love I love the agency so much. They were so lovely. There was such good vibes, but I was just, I was struggling. It was the longest ever job that I'd have had had. And it was, uh, I was there for one year and I was just so used to kind of like job hopping post graduating in 2018 that I was just like, this is being there for a year. I thought I was going to die. And I was like, what is going on? And then basically I kind of started to look a lot into like ADHD and Mm -hmm. specifically how ADHD presents in women and black women's experience of ADHD and diagnosis and whatnot. And then my, I kind of spoke to my workplace about this and then they paid for me to get my ADHD diagnosis. And then I got it and I was like, amazing. And I quit my job because I was like, I'm so happy. I know what's wrong (laughs) with me. I am going to go and do my own thing. And basically I've just never looked back since. And yeah, like the freedom it gives me, like in terms of what I want to work on and, you know, the the sort of products I want to take up and where I want to take certain things and investing in my own ideas. But yeah, it also comes with all its own anxieties and struggles. Like you're you're freelance as well, aren't you? So you, you know, like the vibe. Oh my gosh, 15 years. Shantae, I am oh older than you. I am old. So 15 I years. I can't don't look it. We should be age rate. Sorry. Like... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that. But I mean, even the fact that my son is nearly 12 tells you a lot. But basically, Mm. I I mean, so many things. So one, I mean, when you said what is wrong with me, the first thing I was like, no, no, let me stop you there, because it's not what's wrong with you. And I think even the words, you know, I've got a lot of um, friends who work in the medical profession, and even the words that they use within ADHD are kind of, I don't know, they're challenging in the sense that it does make people feel and parents of ADHD children and siblings, and whether you're, you know, adults of ADHD, it just makes people think that this is disorder and it's you know it's going to be a limiting thing and it's almost this idea Mm. that you can't do this because instead of you will do things this way because and you will experience things this way because and I'm not trying to say that oh you know it's this you know people say it's this like hidden gem and for people living with Mm. HG they're like no it's not but I think understanding that I mean firstly amazing that you were able to you know, get that diagnosis and to understand exactly what you said. Like, I need to be working in this way. This is what's going to mm. feed my uh, my own well being and also get the best out of me, so I can do my best work and be creative and share it. So, yeah, lots of thoughts there. But we're looping no, back to this, real. looping back to this. I'm um, freelance, and I mean, the struggle is real with all the things that you mentioned. Not just whether it's pitching or new clients or building new relationships or getting paid, but I also think the self-discipline required, you know, I talk a lot on this podcast about motivation and discipline and it doesn't matter whether that's to run a marathon or whether that's to write a book, the discipline required, I think, to be a freelancer, to set yourself deadlines, to continue to do work when there's no one really standing there making you do it is it's mad actually how do you how do you approach that how do you stay i guess do you have a structure do you think of yourself as self-disciplined i mean hmm. i was gonna be like no no way but i was like actually wait really think about this question because like yeah you're right it it takes a lot for you to like 
manage yourself and do and like kind of take care of everything on your own. But I think for me, I, I think I kind of needed that. I hate the feeling of being micromanaged. I hate the mm. feeling of like people breathing over my shoulder. Like, yes, sometimes I need pressure. And sometimes that pressure could just be the deadline approaching or that pressure could just be a nudge from someone. But I think for me, that like the most helpful thing I've, I've done is like kind of manage my energy more than I've managed my time. And I kind of always say this to people that like have ADHD, like it's less about like, punishing yourself by locking away your phone so you do a specific task and more about working with yourself and understanding what you do and don't have the capacity to work on in this particular moment. I think sometimes mm -hmm. we work against our bodies because we're still trying to operate so, like in a world that, that we've kind of grown up in that is incredibly neurotypical when we actually need to be like, wait a minute, like how am I feeling right now? What is my energy going to allow me to do? Can I dedicate X amount of time to this task? Like how can I make, how can I give myself an incentive for doing this as opposed to a punishment? And I think it's just coming from school, right? Like when you're mm -hmm. not listening, when you're not constantly concentrating your punish and I think we take those whole or we take all of those punitive measures and we even apply it to our our adult lives as people who have ADHD, as people who are neurodiverse, we we punish ourselves for not doing the things that we think we should be doing because we're operating in a neurotypical framework. And so I think like for me, like managing myself and managing my time has been all about managing my energy, like understanding when I'm the most productive, understanding what time I take my medication, when does my medication hit, what, what task should I be doing during that time to get things done? And that's basically how I try to structure my life and structure my times. But some days, you know, some Sometimes I'm useless and I don't really like uh, routines and structures that kind of go on forever. Like if I have a structure for a week, I might just do it for a week or maybe mm. I'll do it for three days because you get bored of the repetitiveness and it becomes difficult to keep following it because yes, the structure can be helpful, but if it's boring, it becomes difficult to follow through. So mm. I'm always thinking about how, especially like one thing, so I know I'm going on mad tangents here, but like even <laughs> on this point, like one thing I've been thinking about so much is like, is like tracking my cycle. Like when, yes. where am I in my, in my, um, in the, in the cycle of my period, like what I, I know that the week before my period, it doesn't matter if I am on the strongest ADHD medication that has ever been prescribed in the history of the pharmaceutical industry, yeah? <laughs> it's not gonna work. It doesn't work. So I know during that period of time, try, trying to get certain tasks done or certain bits of work done is gonna be tough. So I have to be kinder to myself. So I have mm -hmm. to give myself more time or I delay it or I ask for a new deadline. And so I think like the, the best way that I have been able to structure my time and manage myself is listening to my body and listen and, and understanding my energy and then applying what works well in the in the moments where I have the most energy to do those tasks. So yeah, it's it's a, oh. it's a lot, but it's just a process of understanding yourself better. Oh, anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time will know that I cannot talk enough to women about tracking their cycle and to mm -hmm. understanding the impact that it has. I had actually a, a podcast right at the start of the year with a doctor specifically talking about this because I wanted to, yeah, bring it to people's attention that it's not just this thing where women have to deal with like, oh, you're feeling a bit down today or you're feeling a bit, mm -hmm. no, it is impacting your neurochemistry. It is impacting mm -hmm. your physiology, your sleep, your hormones, your appetite, everything. Thing. And I'm someone who, again, I, yeah, I've tracked my cycle now for about two years and I try as much as I can to structure. I, I structured my entire training plan for the London Marathon around my cycle because I had to. Mm. So it's, it's, it's very impactful, very important. And I hope that people will hear that. And so 
right back at the start, you said that someone reached out to you and said, you know, any tips, any advice? And you were literally like, wow, you know, like stay away. But I think considering all those things that you've just said, would that, you know, giving advice then I suppose to someone who says, okay, journalism, freelance life, what's your advice for me? Given what you've said around the industry and kind of more mainstream such as print and even writing long form articles do you think that that's where things like podcasts things like audio content video content do you think that is i don't know i guess i guess media kind of is all blended now right so it doesn't matter it's just a different way of people Mm. consuming media would you would you say to people actually explore lots of different mediums to do the same thing yeah, a hundred percent. I think obviously I, I host the Guardians Pop Culture podcast, so I'm I'm now firmly within the audio space. But I've always been like a lover and consumer of podcasts. Like not so much this week because it's been a bit mad. But normally every single day I share a new podcast that I've listened to on Instagram, and I talk about why I liked it and why I didn't like it, what I liked about the sound design, what I liked about the narrative, what I liked about like, the production or the guest selection. Or do you know what I mean like I mm. I've always had a very very kind of like in depth like love of audio, and so I think. It's it's really important for people to explore things outside of that and also for me like yes yes I am doing kind of like the journalism and the writing and then the podcasting but then I'll do like lots of things like consulting for brands or I'll do talks or I'll do like Instagram ads or so I'm I am like making money wherever I can across the media like do you know what I mean and even yeah. within the space of writing there'll be like essay writing and book writing and script writing and story producing and so like I just feel like you like maybe there is a a, a type of, of of media that you like or a topic that you like and then just figure out how many things within that space you can do how many skill sets you you can you can basically rack, rack up and even if it's just like one thing that you're really good at doing like how can you then apply this to multiple things because i also write for like for like brands like doing like copywriting and then doing like feature writing and so there's like like the the industry is huge and i think if you if you are skilled at writing like think about where else you can apply that beyond just like writing for national papers and stuff yeah yeah exactly and what do you think about the the role of long long form content because i think the reason that i i'm similar to you in the sense i love podcasts i listen to so many every single week and i have done for a very long time and for me for two reasons one is because i much prefer audio i'm an audio learner Mm. that's how i retain information i can listen to a book and tell you 90% of the book but if I read the book Mm. it's going to take me ages and I'm not going to remember it so for me I figured that out after leaving school annoyingly and I was like oh wow like I'm an audio learner so learning by audio is great for me so I'm like okay podcasts give it to me and the fact that I don't have to look at something for example a screen because I listen to it when I'm running I listen to it when I'm driving my car I listen when I'm cooking so long form I'm happy honestly I listen to some podcasts that are two and a half hours and people say to me like yeah people, yeah people say to me two and a half hours like who's listening to that and I know that in a world of you know tweets and memes and clickbait and quick 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 mm-hmm. there's obviously a lot of people who still want long form so yeah how do you how do you think long form content fits into the current media landscape I think there's still more room for it. There's still space for it. And I think even, but even like something being long form, like could literally even be a film. Like people will sit through Avatar. Avatar's like 16 hours long. Like, come on now, you can, <laughs> you can listen to a long podcast. Like the film about the blue things fighting each other for 17 hours. Everybody needs to behave themselves, okay? 
And so I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of space for it. Even when it comes to long form journalism, a lot of the time now articles will have an option to listen to the article instead of reading it. So that's a big thing. Then you kind of see a lot of podcasts being created out of certain um, aspects of journalism. So you have the Modern Love podcast, which is like the New York Times column that is now turned into both a, a TV series or a, a, a series on a streaming platform. So it's on Amazon. Mm. And then there's also the, the podcast that exists for it as well. And so like, there's a lot of that stuff happening when the two worlds are colliding. And if you struggle to, to um, consume something in one way, there's always another way to do it. But even then I think, so I, I sat on the judging panel for the bookseller um, book of the year, British book of the year awards. And I sat on the audio nonfiction um, panel judging. And it was really, really interesting because I definitely feel like, particularly in the audio book space, there is still like a lot of opportunity for people to be more kind of creative with the types of audiobooks mm. that they're producing and how they use different elements of sound. At the moment, it kind of just feels like people think, oh, if you have an audiobook, you just read the book and then you upload it and it begins and ends there. And I always find that really strange because it just feels like there's a total sort of like lack of like, like, uh, like appreciation for the art that is audio and audio experiences. There are so many incredible audio dramas that I've listened to that I've listened to and felt scared because of the way the sound design mm. is and stuff like that. And like, it's, it, I feel like slowly as, yeah, you say we're moving towards more long form and people maybe don't have the attention span to sit and read through things or even watch things. Like we're gonna start to really see like audio really take off and, and, and lots of things, exciting stuff happening in that space space. So I think there's there's a lot there if you're willing to like take the time to learn and and, and explore. Yes, I, I really hope so. And as we've said a few times, you are the host of the Guardian Pop Culture podcast. Now, yes. oh, I mean, yes, here for that. Now, the words pop culture, it's quite funny because I was doing homework. I mean, I shouldn't be doing it, but I was supporting my son's learning, aka doing homework. <laughs> and he was talking about, we, we had to find a poet and I introduced him to George the poet and we were talking about mm. pop culture. And he was kind of, he said to me, you know, what's what's pop culture, what's culture? And it's quite interesting to try and explain to an almost 12 year old boy what the word culture means. Um, mm. And I was talking to him about, you know, uh, emerging trends and talking to him about observing kind of signals of change or things that lots of people care about. And the example that I gave him for him and his friends and his peers was gaming. So yeah. it got me thinking and I kind of thought, well, this is your world, you know, everything from your writing to the podcast. And I, and, and just this is why I love following you on social media, but I was interested to find out where do you observe signals of change, emerging trends, and where do you, I suppose, look and listen and try to understand what's relevant to young people and what they really care about right now? Um, I think I look a lot to places like TikTok. I think I also look a lot to places like Reddit um, because I just feel like the kind of su like the subreddits and the threads that exist in Reddit are so interesting. I also feel like the demographic of people that use Reddit are quite young as well. So many Reddit mm. threads that threads have been and people are like 14 or 15. And so I'm always kind of reading them, seeing what people are talking about, seeing what media people like. Obviously, TikTok is just like, you know, a huge black hole for when it comes to like what's coming up and trends and the it girl or the villain <laughs> era or whatever it is. Like, it's such an interesting place 
to, to, to find and understand those things. So I'm always, always on those spaces as well. Um, and then also just like talking to my, like my siblings, like my little sisters, I'm always fascinated about what is kind of so exciting and important in their world. Like who is it that they look up to? What is it that they're listening to? What do they like to dress as? And so I think of the, a lot of that stuff I, I, I look to for emerging trends. And then even when I'm thinking about when I'm reading, I'm looking at places like The Cut and kind of all of those sort of websites like Vulture. Mm. I'm just like very kind of intrigued by people's like takes on 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 things that are happening culturally and where they want to take it and also subcultures and where they come from and how people are adopting them and whether or not they exist. Like I'm always kind of looking at all of that stuff. So I follow like loads of people and I try to subscribe to as many different like newsletters and publications as I can. And then I'm always like following as many like young influencers and personalities on places like TikTok because I'm just like, I know you're going to have something fascinating to tell me. Um, yeah. So I'm very in their world. I love this. I mean, you're dropping so many, like people grab a pen and write them down because <laughs> I'm always looking for new things as well, just to like basically refresh my own mind, my own feed. As, as I mentioned, I mm-hmm. listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes I'm like, I have listened to my favorite podcast. I've listened to all the episodes. I need something new. And I'm always mm. trying to, yeah, just like add new things. And I, similar to you, you know, I do brand advisory work. And sometimes one of the most frustrating things, I don't know if you've had share this experience is that when you're speaking to brands about, I feel like sometimes I'm the youngest person in the room. And I mean, that says a lot, Mm. because as I said, I'm in my thirties. And if I'm the youngest person in the room and they're talking about, you know, I don't know what young people want or what Gen Z care about or what Gen Alpha are going to care about when it comes to consumer Mm. habits and decisions, it often just feels like the decision makers don't always want to hear me say to them, well, my younger sibling who's this age or my son who's this age, this is how Mm. they use search or this is what they care about. And they kind of just, I don't know what it is about poo-pooing this kind of like listening to young people, but I'm Mm. kind of thinking the businesses and brands that are willing to do that, surely they're going to be, they're going to win. Yeah. But the thing is as well, I don't know, I I find that like at the moment, what we're seeing, particularly in the media with all of these publications shutting down, like it does all feel like a lot of youth youth focused media that is kind of being swallowed up and is like ceasing to exist now. And I do find that stuff so interesting because I just feel like when we lose these spaces or when we, you know, potentially lose a vice or lose an ID or lose a paper mag or do you know what I mean? Mm. Lose a Buzzfeed. It's like, what then replaces this? Like, how do yeah. we kind of like verify our news sources? How do we know what is what's happening in the world? How do we find stories that appeal to us and places that will take our stories and care about our stories? And I just find it, yeah, so interesting that it just feels like, you know, this is the generation that you want to cater to because they're going to be the future of your market and stuff. But at the same time, it just feels like the places that they look to or the places that have like done a great job of of archiving the culture and predicting the future are now going. And Mm. so it's like it's, it's such an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe some big opportunities there as well. I want to do a complete 360, 180, whole new topic. I have been looking forward to speaking to you, Shantae, about travel. Mm. 
Now, Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I, uh, during the pandemic, I mean, everyone says this, right? Oh, we had the travel bug. Can't wait to travel. I'm going to go and see the world as soon as I can leave my house, get me on a flight. Mm. I was one of those people. And earlier on in my life, I didn't really get many opportunities to travel. So growing up, you know, my mum was a single mother with a low income, so we weren't going anywhere. And then Mm -hmm. when I got older, I, I don't know, I just, you know, I didn't go to university. I didn't have a gap year. I didn't do any of those things. And I became a parent and I don't know, I just didn't have that um, experience. So later on in my life, I definitely felt like I was making up for lost time and I just wanted to go everywhere, see everywhere. So during the pandemic, I wrote a list of places in the world that I want to explore. And I recently just came back from my first visit to Asia. I went to, Oh oh my gosh, it was the dream. I went to Japan with my son, both of us together, just the two of us. And we just had this amazing adventure visiting his friend, actually not mine. And it was incredible. And it was, yeah, it was something I, like I said, had been craving throughout the pandemic. Now, I know that you also love to travel. I know that I've seen you talking online about travel and about specifically about solo travel. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Let's get into it. Tell us about your experience, about solo travel, what you love about it, what you maybe don't like about it. Over to you. Oh my days, listen, also Japan sounds absolutely amazing. Like I like haven't even like begun to touch that part of the world yet, but it's definitely on my list of like, of places to go. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do as much as I can in, in this time, but like solo travel, yeah, to me is just so important. It's so healing. It's the best thing I ever decided to do. Like you, yeah, I didn't grow up in a rich family. Like there wasn't a lot of opportunities or chances to travel. It was like quite far and few between. Um, and so I also like didn't do a gap year. All, I, all I've done is work. Like since I was, since I got <laughs> yes. a you know, national insurance number, so- I worked and I worked all the time and I worked every summer and I worked, do you know what I mean? I just, I'd never had the opportunity. And then before I even graduated uni, before I even sat my exams, I got like a postgraduate internship that I started. Um, And so I just never, I'd never got that break like ever. I did a gap year and I worked the whole year at the Bank of England. So I've never, I'd never had any time to basically do all those things. And so I kind of, yeah, like you, post pandemic was like, do you know what? Something absolutely needs to change. And I remember kind of just growing up, always trying to organize like, places to go with my friends and it was just so stressful because everyone was busy on this day and trying to organize them was just ridiculous and I was like do you know what if I want to do this stuff I have to do it by myself I can't wait for my friends I can't wait for some imaginary boyfriend to show up like I have to just go and do the things and so during in 2021 like I know travel was still a bit mm, iffy there but I went and spent a month in Lisbon I didn't know anyone from Lisbon I didn't speak a lick of Portuguese I'd never been there before wow. I just someone once was like oh there's black people in Lisbon it's lit so I was like okay cool like I don't even remember who said it I just remember they someone said that once to me and I was like I need to go for, and plus I was living, I moved back home at that time. So I was living with my grandma and like, I love my grandma so much, but I was like, wow, I really need space. And I didn't want to pay for some expensive Airbnb in London. I was like, might as well just go to a different country. So yeah, I just left. Went to Lisbon for a month. It was amazing. I met so many friends. Like I had an incredible time. And basically I've been back to Lisbon every single year, twice a year since I first went. Wow. Because I'm just like, I love it there. It's my second home. Like my people are there. It's like where I feel happiest. Um, And then after that, that same year, I did like, I just went to like, 
to travel around like Seville and Malaga and all of those places by myself for two weeks. That was amazing. Um, and then I went to like Lisbon again by myself. And then I've just, this year I just came back from, oh no, last year I went to Croatia by myself. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. And then I also went this year, went to Brazil for one month by myself solo. Um, you know, never been, didn't really know anyone and was just like, do you know what? If I loved Lisbon, you know, so many of the incredible people I met from Lisbon are from Brazil. I was like, let me just go to Brazil by myself for one month. And I did it and it was just incredible. And obviously people were mad scared. Like, oh my God, what yes. this happens? You're going to get snatched. You're going to get killed. <laughs> and I came back and I lived to tell the story. So what's good? You know, like it was fine. Like people want to scare you so bad. Like, like, oh, think of it wrong. Liam Neeson. It's Liam Neeson. We have to yeah. blame for this. <laughs> <laughs> listen, my dad kept being like, you know, I don't have a certain set of skills, you know. I was like, dad, listen, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Like, mm. but yeah, I was sick. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I saw it, as I said, I was living vicariously at the time because I was here in the dusty grey UK and I was so happy to see your sunshine and vibes. And Brazil is actually on my list as well. So yeah, maybe afterwards we can kind of compare things between Brazil and Japan. And I think you mentioned the word healing and you said, you know, it's just this... There's something I think about going to a new environment where whether it's, you know, the language, whether it's the food, whether it's the culture, whether it's the people. This is why I really wanted to do this experience with my son is Mm. because, yes, I didn't have it myself growing up, but I know that his life now is very different to the life that I had. There's all these different challenges there where I'm trying to show him different 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 basically not just his world his school his friends so yeah when you said okay the fear thing that comes up for a lot of people Mm. they might be scared they might say it's not safe especially as a woman especially as a black woman like these places don't go that's not safe but when you when you were there you said then you're like oh i made loads of friends how did you meet friends what was that experience like did you you know you're confident i i want to assume an extrovert i don't know if you'd agree but yeah yeah, how did you actually meet new people and establish relationships and feel safe to do that so basically this is this is how this is how you do it because everyone always (laughs) asks me this i'm so glad you asked it then i can just send everyone this podcast and they'll and they will know when you're going to a new place for the first time if you are like not confident at like you know just going up to people and joining conversations then like the number one thing to do is obviously book a whole load of like tours and excursions whether they're free walking tours or like cheap cheap like you know hiking tours or whatever it is like book all of that stuff because when you go to these tours you're in an environment where everyone is here for the same reason because they're here to do an activity so it's easy to talk to people because it's not weird and out of context to chat to them like it makes sense and so that's a a brilliant way to meet people the apps things like bumble bff is a great way to meet people um a lot of web a lot of like countries have like facebook groups for travelers like there's when i went to lisbon i joined the like black in lisbon facebook group and i met this amazing guy there called Edson, who just knows every single black person in Lisbon, like period. And I just basically hung out with him all the time. And he introduced me to loads of people and allowed me to meet loads of friends. So join the Facebook groups, join the meetup groups, like any sort of or like online, like um, community that for a different, for a specific place and join Even like Lisbon now has like a black and Lisbon Instagram page where you can follow them. And if you're traveling to Lisbon soon, you can see what events they have going up or what things they recommend going to. Um, and then on top of that, like I stayed in a lot of hostels. I stayed at the Selena, 
mainly in in all of the countries I've stayed in. And you just go to different nights in the hostel and you kind of meet people there and we're in the kitchen, in the communal areas, the staff, like hostels often do like events and tours of their own where you can go and meet people. At the Selena, they always have a welcome drink on like the first night. And so you can go there and meet new people. Um, so I did a lot of that stuff as well. Mm. And then, yeah, literally just talking to people. Like, yeah. of course, that's a very intimidating thing. And not everyone feels like they can do that. So don't do not do it if you don't feel like you can. But, like, but when it's you lay also it out, just easy to chat. Yeah, when you lay out yeah. like that, I think that sounds, yeah, it sounds really doable, really achievable. I think people have maybe an idea in their mind that they're going to book a flight, arrive in a hotel, get a card, go into a hotel room and sit down and go, okay, I'm in Lisbon. I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. But I think what you've just described sounds exciting and engaging. And, you know, without the risk of sounding cheesy, I'm like, I don't mind sounding cheesy because I am Mrs. Motivation, Mrs. Optimism. Mm-hmm. And I often say to people, I'm like, you have one life, you know, inaction is the greatest risk. So ultimately it's like mm-hmm. you have to at least be willing if you're going to complain about it or you're going to kind of talk, even talk about it. To be honest, I'm calling myself out now because I have talked to my siblings about getting a tattoo for about 10 years and don't have a <laughs> tattoo. So but if you're going to do oh, that, then it's like you've got to take action and you've got to yeah, be willing to to do something yeah. and to try. And sometimes you just do it. You know, yeah. like, I, I remember when I got my first tattoo, literally some girl messaged me on Instagram was like, oh, our tattoo studios happen at opening. Do you want to go? I was like, yeah. And I got there and they were doing free tattoos and I'll just, and they were like, just pick anything off the wall. I was like, I'll have that one. <laughs> like sometimes you just can't, you don't think about it too much and just do it. Cause I think sometimes thinking is the thing that stops you from actually like taking the action. Cause why are you analyzing all the possible outcomes where you could just do the thing and then think about it later? <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of a tattoo, which is probably an irreversible <laughs> decision, but you know. <laughs> So we've talked about journalism, we've talked about the industry, we've talked about travel, and I also wanted to talk to you about well-being. Now, when I say well-being, as I, you know, I've worked in the well-being industry, I suppose, for the last like 12 to 13 years, and I think it's finally something that is no longer just an isolated you know, well-being, it's actually in t- being recognized as an integral part of every single person's life. It's not optional, mm. it's not luxury, it's actually, you know, if you have a body, if you have a mind, then you have a state of well-being and that could be good or it could be poor or it could be optimal. But I wanted to talk to you, I suppose, you mentioned at the start actually about how you manage your energy. And, you know, I know that you like to exercise. I know you like to work out mm-hmm. and you like to break a sweat. And yeah, I wanted to talk to you about how you approach maintaining um, and sustaining your own well-being. I think it's like, there's like I guess there are like layers to it like of course exercise is like a huge huge one and for me it's like I love going to my 6 45 a.m spin class like I'm gonna be there on a Monday and on a Wednesday and basically what I used to do is I I, I kind of got into it because I basically just wanted to do the very first gym class of every day and so the first 
class of the day at my gym used to just be spin at 6.45. And I just got into a habit of doing it because I was like, if I don't exercise first thing in the morning, then I, it's either not gonna happen or I'm gonna have a class later on in the day. And my anticipation from that class is gonna stop me from doing the things that I need to do because mm. I feel like a huge thing of ADHD is this sort of like, this like time blindness, this, this inability to understand how long it takes to do a certain thing. And so sometimes if you have something at 5 p.m., you're like at 11 a.m., you're like, God, I don't want to start this thing because then I'm <laughs> going to get into the flow. And, da, da, da. and basically, like, it becomes a huge thing. So I work around that by, you know, exercising first thing in the morning. So that's a huge thing for me. Um, and then as well, picking exercise that's fun. Obviously, I've been doing pole dance for like five years now. Mm. I absolutely love pole dance. It's incredible. And it's now opened up the world of like aerial skills to me. So now I go to a lot of hoop classes and a lot of trapeze classes and the studio that I do um, aerial hoop and trapeze at have just started a beginner straps class so I'm going to start going to that on a Thursday afternoon and it's like I am just really enjoying exercising and enjoying moving my body and it's not because I want to lose weight or I want to look a particular way or I have a body goal in mind it's just that it's a fun thing to do that like helps me release a lot of my energy and helps me to focus and so that's a huge part of it and then I think like also like food, like what I consume is like such a big thing as well. Things like, I know how dairy makes me feel. I know I shouldn't have like too much of it. Or there are certain things that I just know I can't consume. And then being like, not punishing myself or being strict with myself, but being like, how is it that this thing is making you feel? And how do you manage that? So mm. that's a huge part of it as well. And then also like, the, I guess the last thing is just like, like my skin and my body and this whole idea of like always having this ritual in the evening of like putting on my moisturizer and like having that as part of like wellness for me, because it makes me feel happy I feel like I'm taking care of myself it's mm. like it, it's a nice feeling to wrap up a long day with like nourishing my skin and just being really kind to myself and really gentle and like that sort of like touch it's honestly just the nicest way to like end a day where you're kind of still prioritizing wellness but it's like fun and it doesn't feel too too arduous so yes. I think yeah I feel like I think about wellness on so many layers yeah, exactly. And that's what it is. It's this 360 thing. And again, you know, just because I work in the industry and I say this to, you know, a lot of people, whether it's in keynotes, whether it's in talks, whatever, I talk about these different parts. So there's the physiology part, as you described, exercise is only one part. And then nutrition mm. for your body, but nutrition for your mind. Like, what do you listen to? What do you read? Mm. Who are you talking to? Then there's, as you described, you know, time management. That is actually something in itself. So many people feeling time poor, feeling like they never have time for themselves, constantly trying to, you know, we all can feel that sometimes, but stress and overwhelm and leading us to be burnt out. Out. And then, yeah, that nourishing part that you described with, you know, taking care of your skin and doing something that feels nice. Mm -hmm. And actually when I had, again, a previous guest, she had written a book called Real Self-Care. And what she was essentially doing with this book is challenging the idea that we're just being told, oh, run a bubble bath and oh, put cream on your face. And she was like, that yeah. is not real self-care. It's a really great book, actually. I recommend it to a lot of people. But I kind of felt like I had to confess to her that I was like, you know what, I'll be honest with you. I know that I need to prioritize nutrition and sleep and all these things and exercise. Of course, I know those things, it's my job, mm. but I am not gonna lie. I love to moisturize my face, put on a candle. Like I love those things as well. And so it doesn't have to be this binary, you know, this is self-care, this isn't self-care. I think whatever mm. you decide is your kind of yeah well-being practices whatever you think and 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 experience that helps you to feel good and manage your energy i think just yeah works for you yeah agreed agreed
What about your, what about your, uh, I suppose, emotional energy? So yeah, is there something in particular that you do? Some people maybe talking therapy, might be journaling. It might be that the physical stuff is kind of, you know, feeds into that as well for you. But yeah, how do you manage your emotional well-being and emotional energy? Gosh, that's such a good question. Cause I just feel like currently I'm definitely not doing a good job of that. I used to do therapy and I used to have an ADHD coach as well. Mm. And that used to be like really, really helpful. Cause I guess therapy helped me to deal with a lot of the emotional issues. And then my ADHD coach helped me think like more practically about like how my, I guess how, how like the fluctuation of my emotions like prevented me or encouraged me to do work. And then she helped me think a lot about like in the practical sense, how I arrange my my life around how I feel um, and, and how I analyze what things, what tasks like give me negative feelings, why I avoid like putting away the clothes after I've taken them off, off the, the radiator. Like, what is it that I, I need to do to basically do those tasks? So I think about my emotions in more depth and that helps me to become more productive. But I haven't done, I haven't done both of those things in a while. And I definitely mm. feel like I'm noticing the effect of it. Like with my with my coaching, I think I just needed it a bit less. With therapy, do you know, with therapy, I was in when I was in Brazil, I was just happy and enjoying my life. Yeah. And then I would have therapy, and my, my therapist would be getting me to be talking. About, oh, oh, I don't love myself enough. And I was like, do you know, what? I'm really not trying to hear all that. I'm really not trying to hear all that. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to shake my ass in the sun. I'm not trying to hear any of this. I don't love myself stuff. Like maybe when I come back, and then I just never arrange it so it's something i definitely need to go back to but i think yeah i think i think i've started like journaling more like writing a lot of like like um affirmations like and i've been i've been deep i've been deep in in that like spirituality the universe tiktok right and i know it's, it's crazy there it's <laughs> so you have to take a deep breath before you step in there right but honestly, in some senses, there's something that's quite like reaffirming or just there's something nice about, you know, following all of these kind of spiritualists on, on TikTok who talk about, you know, the universe timing and, you know, let things unfold and what's meant to be will be. And I don't mm. know, I've been kind of like fueling myself up on a lot of that stuff as well. Um, oh, and okay. then also like a huge thing for like my emotional well-being is like my a sense of community like I yeah. think I'm quite privileged to be like one of the o only people in my friendship group who like lives lives by themselves like rents by themselves and so um I try to do a lot for my friends like I host my friends a lot I have a I had like I had like a taco night the other night and or I'll have a movie night when a film's come out that I want to see or I'll just have a gathering for the sake of having a gathering like community is so important like making sure I'm there for my friends and my friends have somewhere to escape to and we can all be together because I think it's something that's harder to do, especially when going out is really expensive, like the cost yeah. of living, like not everyone wants to go and spend lots of money on a meal. And that's why like for my for my birthday, I hosted like an aerial party and I paid for it. Like 13 of my friends together to come and experience doing aerial for the first time. So half of them did hoop and half of them did um, silks and it was amazing. And like, I, I paid for it cause it was kind of like, yes, it was my birthday, but I invited you here and it's like kind of like my gift to you. And I just think, yeah, where, where I can, I want to provide those spaces and experiences for my friends to kind of come <sighs> together and have a good time without having to pay so much to do things in the first place. So, so well, yeah, that's really important to me. 
Well, we we all need a friend like you, Shantae. Uh-huh. And I'll, I'll be honest, this is like weird confession, but I saw that birthday party. I saw you posted yeah. maybe maybe on Instagram or on Twitter, and I was like, oh my gosh, this girl! Because exactly what you just described around, you know, you're in your twenties, and you said you live, you host your friends, you have these, you know, you might think, I, I don't know. Everyone looks at everyone else's life, of course, don't they, and and makes mm. assumptions about it. But I feel like in the last few years of my life, being in mid thirties, having not only my son but also step children so different commitments Mm. there you know you can imagine my weekends sometimes between football training and tutoring and swimming lessons Mm. you know there's there's a lot and then because many of my friends didn't have children when I did they're having babies now I've now got the thing where friends are pregnant or they've got a baby and it's just this idea of actually bringing your friends together having the time Mm. to share with your people it does I don't want to say for everyone but in my experience it gets less and less and less as you get older your friendship group get smaller and smaller and that's okay because you know that's life and we have I have wonderful friends but I saw that party yeah. and I was like I want to be Shantae's friend I want to invite myself to her <laughs> birthday party I was like this is such a vibe yes. because you're with yes. your people and you have the time and energy to give back to them honestly it's so true and I think like that's one thing I get scared of as well I guess like as like like more I'm seeing more and more my friends that you know get into relationships and get and get like engaged and I'm like guys we're 27 can everyone just be relaxing but okay like like, do you know what I mean I was like at first it wasn't it was cute at the beginning now I'm getting scared but I just feel like yeah I I do want to I try to facilitate as much as I can but also I try to get comfortable in being by myself. Like I guess living by myself and traveling by myself. Like I'm just so used to being on my own and I, alone and I love my own solitude and I love my own company mm. and I don't feel any type of way doing things alone. And I think I've worked on that for so long as well. So it's just mm. like, even outside of kind of seeing my friends, like I spent probably most of my time by myself. And it's like, you have to just get to a whole new level of like, I like me before you know you can do that and feel entirely comfortable and I think that's also been a huge priority for me yes and it's honestly I feel like for many people it becomes a luxury because trust me Mm -hmm. I love my life I love my husband I love my kids it goes without saying and we're together all the time like literally me and my husband we are joined at the hip these days I love it but honestly solitude is a luxury when you have like Mm -hmm. that's why I run I'm like (laughs) I'm running myself for one hour every day so Mm. yes and let's actually I could talk to you for ages I've like I said was looking forward to this but conscious that we don't have all day sadly So the last part of the show, the power hour, I ask every single guest to share with us what they typically do in the first hour of their day. Now, as you can imagine, after four and a half years, we've heard lots of different things. Some people have a very regimented, structured morning routine, which enables them to do lots of things. Other people are far more gentle and slow in the morning. Some people every single day is different. And some people are international DJs who are coming in when I'm waking up. So can you tell us Shante about the first hour of your day what do you typically include anything that you avoid and also what time you start the day so this is an interesting one I feel like every single day it tends to be different if mm-hmm. it's a Monday or it's a Wednesday or maybe some other times in the week I always try to go to the very first gym class of the day and mm-hmm. so that just means basically I wake up maybe half an hour before the class starts because I'm re- I'm a like very short walk to my gym and my gym's bloody expensive but I actually make the most of it because it's so close mm-hmm. and so I literally kind of probably spend the first hour of the day 
getting up, like shouting at my Alexa to be quiet 15 times and then like rolling out of bed, putting on my gym clothes that I laid out the night before, putting on my shoes, brushing my teeth and just running out the house. Because if I don't do it immediately, if I stay in bed for even one more second, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. And so I have to get my ass up and I have to run out the house. But if I'm, if I'm not at the gym, then I will have like a very, very kind of slow morning. Like I kind of like, the first thing I do is I'll take my ADHD medication because I'm like, if I don't do it now, I'm not gonna remember to do it. And I kind of, I turn on um, Sky News. Like I watch Sky News religiously, like so mm. much so that like, I could probably present the morning show myself because I, <laughs> yes. I know it that well. She's ready. So it's, literally, it's the first thing I do every day. I mean, sometimes it's not great because you know, the news is often bleak, but I like to feel informed. I like to mm. feel like I know what's going on. Um, and then once I'm like ready to shower and stuff, I, I think it's probably an ADHD thing, but I put on a podcast that is a specific amount of time long and I have to get shower and, uh, showered and ready before that podcast finishes. Um, and it's just a way for me to like be aware of my own time blindness. And then I might, my, the rest of my day just continues from then. So yeah. No, I like it. It sounds great. And also I love how you, you know, we talked about it at the start with the ADHD, but you're, you're essentially creating tools in your life and frameworks that work for you. And mm -hmm. I have a friend who has ADHD and he basically said that when he was younger, he, cause he, his, he's quite forgetful. He forgets things. He loses things. And he said that when mm. he was younger, he would often be scolded for this by his parents. And I actually think yep. as a parent myself, I'm listening and learning. Cause I'm like, oh yeah. Like I'm constantly saying to my son, you know, like you've got to start being responsible for your own water bottle or whatever. Boring. <laughs> but he was saying, yeah, I used to forget stuff all the time. And so he said, now I just have these frameworks and prompts. So it might be that there's a literally a post-it note on my front door that has mm. the things, or it might be that he's like, I put my keys, my phone, my everything in the same place every day, because I don't want just constantly he said it's the same now at 40 as it was at 30 at 20 mm. and at 12 so it's not necessarily that you know oh you're just gonna um figure it out it's like actually setting yourself your own frameworks that are going to help you to whether mm. that's in your morning routine like you said or whether it's throughout the day i think we, and again adhd or not i think we could all do sometimes with just making our lives a little bit easier for ourselves by giving ourselves some kind of prompts and cues and reminders and not just you know, like we sometimes berate ourselves for like, oh, why haven't I done all these things? And every, you know, I'm a mess. I hear people tell me that all the time. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just a mess. And it's like, mm. no, let's be a bit more compassionate and also make it easier for ourselves. Give yourself, a, you know, a chance, set up some stuff that's going to help you. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's so easy to berate yourself. And I feel like I spent a lot, a lot of time with knowing I had ADHD and not knowing I had ADHD being really harmful to my body. And I always think about like how, when I was younger, I used to have a lot of like caffeine tablets, a lot of energy drinks, a lot of coffee, like just ruining like my poor, my poor, poor body, because I just didn't understand what was going on. And all I did was punish myself like physically and mentally. Um, and so I think when you yeah learn to stop taking such punitive measures and you learn to work with your mind, it's just so much better for you hmm. are you are you caffeine sensitive do you have caffeine now or have you cut caffeine out i am i've basically cut caffeine out and i have this thing there's this brand called dirty and they have this mm. like mushroom coffee that um i've been like drinking instead of my normal coffee and it's like 0.05 percent caffeine or something like that and so i've kind of just been having that like occasionally like gosh sometimes if a day is really stressful then i will have coffee but i'm i think i have to be very sensitive about 
when I take my medication and when I have coffee, because if I have them too close together, then like the heart palpitations will be crazy. Um, yeah, I'm so, quite... yeah, I'm trying to be caffeine free. Yeah, I ask you because I'm very caffeine sensitive. And so I love coffee and I wish I could drink mm. lots of it, but I have to limit it. And actually I also have a coffee brand that I love. You might want to try called London Nootropics. Mm. Um, and mm. they are a mushroom coffee brand. They do different ones. That, I think the way they label them is like Mojo or Zen, but you can actually read whether it's Ashwanga, whether it's Lion's Mane. And the different mushrooms. I don't. I'm not sure what the caffeine intake is on all of them, but I absolutely mm. love those. And I feel like for me, they're Ooh. a good alternative. They taste different to coffee, so they're a bit more kind of yeah, definitely nutty. But honestly, I'm. I don't work for their brand, but I wish I should because I always tell everyone mm-hmm. about them. Basically, well, that is I think all we have time for. And I can only thank you again for being so generous, so candid, so honest, and giving us your time and energy today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so good. Oh, thank you. And thanks everyone, as always, for tuning in. I'm going to be back next week with another episode. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.